0: I'm Alex Hudson, and it's just me today. Um, we've, we've had reports, and these have now been confirmed, that last Wednesday's episode only uploaded to, I think, about halfway through the Swiss Army Man review. So, what we're going to do is reissue the reviews from last week's episode this week, uh, at the end of this podcast, which is just a brief one anyway. Uh, with the hope that that will rectify the problem, and you'll be able to hear all those reviews. So you've got uh, Swiss Army Man, War on Everyone, and I believe a couple of other ones as well. But we just wanted to put it out again because we thought it was worth doing. This is another this is another Shocktober episode, uh, and as a result, uh, basically, I've been asked by by one of our listeners, "What are my favourite horror movies?" They said that they'd watched It Follows recently and had enjoyed it, but it's not particularly scary. And I think It Follows is a good example of a film that is doing something a little more clever with the genre than just trying to scare you, but isn't necessarily a standout. It's it's one of the best of the recent years because the recent years crop of horror films has been fairly terrible, um, but. I was basically given the question, what are your top 10 favourite horror movies? And, you know, for me that's a very difficult question to answer, because just choosing 10 is seemingly an impossible task. So I've just sort of compiled a list of various different ones that I really enjoy, Um, and there will probably be more than 10 mentioned here, but I think they're worth mentioning, and again if if it's a if it's a genre that you're particularly interested in you'll know these already if it's a genre you have a fleeting interest in these are the ones sort of worth getting into and if it's a genre you haven't explored yet horror for me is my favorite genre just because it's it's more than just scares there's there's other stuff going on there um and a good horror film really stands out as a good horror film because it's able to do more than just scare you I think uh, so I did try and split it up into categories um, sort of having schlocky B-movie horror films and then the all time great and foreign language films And you know I could have been there all day trying to do it so what I did was I started that way and then I just went you know what there's too many so what I'll do is I'll just read out a bunch of mine which really stand out as the best so, obviously, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I have uh, a love for Alien, uh, the 1979 Ridley Scott film. Um, it's, it's a film that does horror perfectly in that one alien is scarier than a thousand aliens because in Aliens, you see them being killed left, right and centre. In Alien, you're dealing with one. Now, it's, it's a great example of that sort of creeping dread feeling that you get in the best horror films the ones that don't necessarily show you too much and you never really see the whole alien for extended periods of time you get to see fleeting glimpses you know it's out there and there's some beautiful beautifully crafted scenes in there people say to me oh well the thing about Alien is because it was made in the seventies, it doesn't hold up now. Because you look at it and you go, "Oh, it looks a bit shit." That, which is technically not true, it, it it obviously stands up. The design of the spaceship is perfect because you've got these space truckers, and that's what the ship looks like. It looks like a truck of the future, essentially, and it's got the dialogue to back it up. The acting is across the board, really, really solid, and at times exceptional. And it's just a great example of horror film being done right. Um, we'll move on to a couple of others now. So that's one of my favourites from sort of years and years back. Obviously, one of my favourites of recent years has been the Babadook, which I don't stop talking about quite often, and I, I mean it when I say it. If you haven't seen the Babadook and you even have a remote interest in horror, you watch the Babadook. I, words can't really do it justice in the sense that I, I think it's such an experience that you need to have. There, there's no better way of getting it than just sitting down, watching it, turn the lights out, be on your own if you if you dare, if you dare. It's one of those films that for me does everything I want a horror film to do. It ticks every box and you don't stop thinking about it the moment it finishes. You think about it for days and weeks afterwards. Similarly, another one from last year, uh, which fits into the very niche uh, area of foreign language horror films. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I mentioned on the review of the year last year, one of my favourites of last year. Perfectly blends sort of vampire, uh, western, chiller, horror, thriller, romance, it throws everything into a pot and develops this sort of bizarre, twisted love story that has elements of Dracula, that has elements of a lot of sort of... It draws from so much that it never actually... You can't really pin it down to being, oh, well, it's... Sort of a nod to that thing. You you just go well. It's it's everything you want it to be, and weirdly much more than you expect it to be. Um, so again, uh, you know, foreign language, but absolutely one of my favourite films of last year, and um, really worth a really worth checking out if if you haven't already, and if you've got the patience to watch it, that's great. If you are someone who's turned off by the idea of subtitles and reading please, please just give it a shot anyway, because it, it's it's a film that rewards your your effort. Um, a great example of another horror film that sort of it snuck up out of nowhere for me, in that it came out a few years ago, and I only found it on, I think, Netflix maybe this year. The Last Days on Mars, um, which is a sort of independent British film that was made, uh few years ago now and basically details the descent into sort of madness of this exploration to Mars it's the isolation of being in space and having no form of rescue that means that it's scary because you've got so limited amount of space to run that once you get to the end of your spaceship or the end of your research lab where is there to go? And uh, I would urge you to check that one out if you haven't. Uh, Sticking with British horror, I'll do a few now. I'll just reel off a a bunch that we can, uh, you know, I I won't go into detail on, but do check out. So things like The Descent, that's really, really good. Uh, 28 Days Later, Barbarian Sound Studio, Dog Soldiers is a great one from way, way back. 2000 and something, 2001, 2 maybe. Under the Skin from 2014, I think. Uh, if you haven't seen that, a really odd film that works and sort of doesn't, but just really bafflingly bizarre. One of the best of the year, I'd say, but just one of those ones that The interesting thing is watching the performances and knowing that some of it is actually real. Uh, A Field in England, which is one of Ben Wheatley's films, uh, and actually, in that vein, Kill List, uh, which is just one of his absolute best uh, and features a great performance by Michael Smiley. Um, If we're going for more recent ones, we'll be looking at things like The Witch from earlier this year, which, again, small-scale horror, creeping horror, nothing is seen, it's all sort of implied. You do get some... You get payoff from it, but the large amount of the film that forms the setup is done so well that you don't mind. I've seen people either really love it or really take against it, and I think the people who take against it are the ones who want the quiet, quiet bang, horror films where you get to see the monster and you get to see blood guts and gore and that's really not what that film is but the witch is really worth checking out regardless and i can understand why people take against it if that's the sort of thing you've been used to um i want to give a special mention now to creep which is a very very low budget movie and um (laughs) it's it's made of a shoestring budget and it's a great little sort of found footage thing. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of found footage, but it does it in a way that kind of gets away with it. And and again, I found it on YouTube, uh, not YouTube, Netflix one day, and just really enjoyed it. It's got sequels coming. I'm not 100% sure that I'm on board with that, but the the first one works. So... It's worth checking out. It is on Netflix, or certainly was recently. Um, If you can't find it there, I'm sure there's places to buy the DVD. Uh, Again, going back into the sort of foreign language films area, Guillermo del Toro's uh, The Devil's Backbone, which is the film uh, basically that serves as a companion piece to Pan's Labyrinth, but was released before Pan's Labyrinth, it's it's a ghost story in the same way that... Um, in the same way that Crimson Peak's sort of a romance story with ghosts in it, this is a ghostly chiller. It's not necessarily a horror, but there are horror elements to it, and For My Money is probably his most horror-inclined film, and really works. I mean, again, it's... Uh, it's set during the, the war and the it, it's it's surrounding it's it's just one of these films that works on every level for me and I can understand if it doesn't for you. I'm saying that an awful lot because I understand that my tastes are quite different to some other people's but I think it's important no noticing that and and making making use of the fact that not everyone feels the same way about horror Different people do expect different things from it, but I'd like to think that within this list I'm trying to include something for everyone. If you're looking, uh, again, at sort of the all-time greats, you've got things like The Exorcist in there, which is just up there with the best films of all time, I believe. Night of the Living Dead, which is sort of the the originator of that zombie culture that we have and uh, also says something about race relations and says something about society that that shows that horror is the the best forum for doing that in, I believe. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I've re-watched again the other day and still holds up as one of the classics. Halloween is another great example. Don't Look Now, The Shining, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. These, these are all... Great examples of films that no matter how long away you've spent, when you come back to them, you always get the enjoyment back. You get the horror back in there and it doesn't matter that you've seen them before. I I think the important thing is if you want to see, if you want to see Blood, Guts and Gore, there is stuff out there for you. The Evil Dead's a great example of a film that is funny, as well as being scary. It's it's not just a funny film. There are horrific elements to it, and it is very, very scary. However, if you want that creeping tension, there is The Witch, there is Alien, there is... Kill List is a great example of a film that sort of... it's, It's not even horror at the beginning, and then develops into it, and it's one of those films that keeps on changing and twisting, and you're not quite sure where it's going. Just like A Field with, uh, field in England, actually, and it does that perfect thing of sort of winding its way around various different genres. I'm not going to go on about it anymore, really. Um, there, there are a few more that I was going to mention. A lot of foreign language ones, so things like Let the Right One In, which is one of the standouts of the last sort 10-15 of, years of horror cinema. Uh... The Japanese Ring or Ringu, whatever you want to call it, very, very good. Wreck, We Are What We Are, The Host, which is a great South Korean monster movie. Audition, The Orphanage, Them. These are all sort of... If you've got the patience for a... And I I don't really take that as an argument. If you If you say, oh, I don't have the patience to read a film... Some of the best cinema out there is foreign language. There's no denying that If you look at you know I'm sure they've got their equivalents of Transformers Four Age of Extinction, but they've also put out some of the best films of recent years. What I'm saying is, don't use that as an excuse. Don't use your laziness as an excuse not to watch that film. You watch these films, that will pay off. I guarantee it. Uh, I'm going to leave it there, but there's plenty more. If you do want to speak to us about it, then get in touch on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, But basically now it's sort of on with the reviews from last week. So uh, I think we'll just start from the original uh, start point of the review. So I think it'll be Swiss Army Man's the first one up. Um, But we'll see you on Sunday for a horror-themed episode with a very special guest. First review is a film you saw, Swiss Cheese Man. Swiss Army Man, uh, which is a film by Daniels. That's that's the way they do it in the film. Okay. So it's two chaps called Daniel, who are responsible for, I believe... The Get it? Down For What video by Little John. I mean, it's turned Down For What, and it's by DJ Snake featuring Little John, but we'll... Uh... I was close. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Paul Dano, or Dano... Dano? I'm going to go with Dano. Paul Dano plays a castaway who is stuck on an island. He finds a dead body that is washed up onto shore, played by Daniel Radcliffe, and realises that he has certain powers and capabilities that mean that he is his ticket off of the island. Yes. I've not seen this, by the way. These powers are farting. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: And the thing is, it's an interesting concept for a film. In the sense that you have a dead body that is sort of reanimated to an extent. And he uses him in various different ways to help him overcome obstacles. And it gets a little bit sort of melodramatic towards the end. and I think it gets ideas above its station towards towards its conclusion. And I don't feel like it's done enough up until that point to, yeah. to warrant going into uh, the story it goes into. And you know what? It works as a short film. If you were to condense yeah. this down to 15 minutes, fine. Uh, it's too long. It, it, there's just too much of it is padded out with shots of them walking through wooded areas and you're just going, right, I get it, they're walking. like There's not anything happening during those bits that mm-hmm. is new. There's not anything happening in those bits that is telling us anything that we haven't already found out. You're just hammering home the same points. And I I, I get the story and I get why they're trying to do it that way, but it doesn't really work for me. And I think an hour and a half, it is just stretched way too thin.
1: But you watched this with your brother and he quite
0: enjoyed it? Uh, My brother enjoyed it in in ways that I didn't. I think uh, he saw it as a more interesting sort of exploration of humanity and the way that people's minds work and things like that and there's stuff to be said for it but at the same time I'm I'm watching it and going this just feels like it's been spread over too much it feels like you've got very little left to tell and you've really stretched it out mm-hmm. and I, I think you can easily sort of condense this down to a 15 minute version and actually cut out a lot of the stuff towards the end that doesn't really work for me and you've got a better film, yeah. So it works in some ways, doesn't work in others. The performances are fine, you know. They're not particularly special. They're not going to win any awards, apart from independent spirit ones, I would imagine. Because <laughs> it's the kind of thing that Paul Dano does very well. Um, the, not to put down Paul Dano's a very good actor, but this is that kind of film. Yeah, it's very much you know. Poor, uh, my brother was saying, you know, this is the. Uh, at Sundance I think they got either standing ovations or walkouts and that's sort of what Sundance is for anyway you get those kind walking of out you, you either give it a standing ovation or you walk out because there's no in between with a lot of those films and this film I can't understand anyone walking out of it and I certainly can't understand anyone giving it a standing ovation it, it, it's fine yeah, but it just isn't enough
1: so you wouldn't recommend
0: uh, no there's better things at the cinema
1: Magnificent Seven still there
0: which is a better use of your time, but is longer. Uh, okay, second film. Do you want to do yours? No, you go next. Okay, so again, I'll talk about a film that I've seen and you haven't. Uh, War on Everyone is the new film by John Michael McDonough, who previously brought us The Guard and Calvary. Uh, Calvary being one of the best films of 2014, for my money. It's uh, a great film. So, War on Everyone sort of snuck up on me. I only found out about it... Maybe a month and a half ago, something like that. And I was I had reservations going in, and sadly those reservations all sort of proved to be true. There's there's certainly the DNA of John Michael McDonough all over it where yeah. it, the, the writing is very similar in parts to moments in Calvary and Moments in But what it doesn't do Calvary's great in the sense that it's got that story... You know, the whole driving force of that film is Brendan Gleason knows that he has had this threat made against him and that there's a definite end point to that threat. And then you're going through the film watching him dealing with that. This film plays like uh, a buddy cop comedy that doesn't work. Yeah. So... The, it's Michael Pena and um, Alexander Skarsgard. I really like Michael Pena. I think he's a good actor. I think he's great in End of Watch. If you've seen that, the David uh, Ayer film,
1: no, him and Jake Gyllenhaal playing yeah, cops, yeah.
0: really, really good film. He's he's a very good actor, and again, puts in a good performance in this role. Everyone sort of does okay in these roles. What's baffling about this film is there are so many extraneous scenes that don't seem to fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. and that are so quickly edited away from that you wonder if they're just mistakes that were left in. (laughs) In in the sense that you'll be watching a scene and it will abruptly end and then it will move on to something else. And you think, I think that's a deliberate choice by the editors to say, right, okay, so we're going to make this film sort of cut like a a child with ADHD has done this. (laughs) But actually what ends up happening is you just get confused by the whole thing. You go... But why that scene was... What what was the relevance of that? Mm -hmm. Because that wasn't... I don't get why we're cutting away to this for three seconds and then we get to something else. And again, gets into territory that it has no real right getting into towards the end that comes out of nowhere. Uh, Basically, the development of it is these two guys play dirty cops, essentially. They play corrupt cops who do cocaine with criminals and they get information from people. They beat people up. There's a whole lot of extortion charges and uh, blackmailing and stuff like that involved. You know, fine. We've seen that story a thousand times. What it doesn't have is the the soul of his previous two films, right? And my issue with it was I thought that transferring the action to America and actually making it more for an American audience probably wasn't going to work out for it there was something that was going to be lost and it was and it turns out that the thing that was lost was the soul of his films it still has the sort of bone structure there of something that could resemble a John Michael McDonough film mm-hmm. but doesn't quite work in any way the performances is are good enough the writing is good enough in parts but the plot doesn't hold up and the editing is it, honestly I'd love you to see it because it's baffling to me yeah it, 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 you're right, it is a shame because Calvary was so good. You expect so much from him. What I'm really interested in seeing is the third in that trilogy now. I yes. don't want to see another attempt at the uh, at the American sort of buddy cop drama. And again, it's that thing. We've seen the nice guys this year. We've seen a better version of this film and mm. one that didn't have to resort to such weird storytelling. Yeah. Um, you can have weird storytelling and it'd be good, but this is this weird storytelling work. that just is weird uh, so I would recommend it if you're a completist I guess but I really it's a bit
1: like watching um, was it Paul starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost yeah
0: if you're if you're really interested in following John Michael McDonald's work then fine watch it and let me know what you think and let me know if you agree with me in that case but I, I honestly say again there's better stuff at the yeah. cinema and it's just a bit of a mess of a film Shall I go into mine? Yeah, do yours.
1: Okay, so because I was off-ill, I decided that I was going to just kind of change some stuff. Yeah, watch a load of stuff I've missed out on earlier this year. Yeah. Um, Like I said, some of it I'll speak about in later podcasts um, because we don't have time because I've seen a fair bit. Um, So, what I wanted to speak about was I watched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Okay. Now, you haven't
0: seen this. No, I haven't. Um, I remember when it I've f- heard plenty about
1: it. I remember when it first came out as a book. Uh, yeah, like 2008. F- yeah, or somebody yeah. sent me a picture going, "Oh, look, somebody's decided to do this," and I was like, "Oh, that's a quirky idea." Yeah. I don't know how long it can hold up in a film. Yeah. Um, so I was like, "I'll give it a go," you know, because I don't mind like watching things like The Walking Dead and things like that. So mm. I've got this interest in zombies. Um, I have no interest in Jane Austen. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Um, I watched Wuthering Heights before. That's Jane. Is that Jane Austen? No, I don't know, <laughs> um, I don't know enough. It's that, it's that kind of thing, though, isn't it? It's that kind of storyline where it's like, Oh, a lady must marry a gentleman, and then they get
0: uh, airplane mode. I can't find <laughs>
1: <travel>. <laughs> and they must marry a gentleman, and then they can go and live happily ever after. Yeah. But that gentleman might not be right for you. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got no interest so in sort no, of I've gentle, got, uh, I've got no interest in those kind of period, yeah, sure. um, things uh, lords and ladyships yeah, courting. It's, it's not for me, so mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what, I, what to expect from this because it's something that I do enjoy. So, but I don't. I must say I really enjoyed this because what it did is it made that storytelling accessible to somebody like me. Uh huh. Um, you know it, they made it where they go, okay, yes, we're going to do all this to do, um, like that. No, it's in a similar way. Baz and Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. took the language of the time and associated it with different elements. Yeah. So when they talked about the longsword, they were talking about um, guns and things like yeah. that. It kind of does that. There's certain so, things it they talk about. Sort of transposes things, and obviously they've written some extra dialogue and things like that in there. Mm-hmm. And there's times when I'm watching it, going, I don't know whether this is the original story or whether they've added this. Okay. And you can't tell because it mixes so well. Um, what I must say is Matt Smith is fantastic in this because right. he comes in as a character who they don't. He doesn't really mention like the zombies and things like that, um, while everyone else does. But what he does do is he basically plays that Austin role. Completely, as though this is the most serious thing in the world. Right. Okay. He's a bit of a buffoon, but he plays it as though, oh, zombies do exist in this world,
0: Mm -hmm. and he plays it so well that in the same sense that Michael Caine did with Muppets Christmas Carol, yes, where he went and said, "I'll do it, but only if I can perform it as if I'm performing like Shakespeare or something."
1: Exactly, and he plays it as though he's in, um, you know, War and Peace, for example, um, and everyone plays it that way. But I think he absolutely nails it. And okay. I th- I do think without him, would it have lost, sagged in the middle, would it have lost something? Right. Um, and because there's a bit with um, Lena Headley from The yeah. Thrones, which I don't know whether it's part of the original story, um, her kind of role, which is a challenge to the main protagonist. Um, but I, it kind of confused me and I was, lo- I kind of lost focus a little bit. Okay. But every time Matt Smith was on screen, I must say he was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think it was just nice to see it kind of Austin for me.
0: Right, okay. So are you saying that this is probably a good way into Austin for people who I'm, aren't interested?
1: I'm not going to go watch any more Austin.
0: Yeah. But I
1: think this is a nice way to see it. Okay. Because it gave me some kind of interest. And as well, although I'm not interested in that sort of thing, mm-hmm. it gave me a, a reason to watch it. Okay. Um, and I think, I don't know how well it did when it came out. Um, I don't know if a lot of people watched it,
0: but... It's enjoyable enough,, well, I don't think they're going to make sense and sensibility and sea monsters, are they? They should do i don't I don't think they announced plans for that sequel
1: um, but no i quite- I quite enjoyed it, and i think if you if you like if you like Austin, you'll probably see it as sacrilege, and you'll probably hate it
0: right if you like zombies, you'll enjoy it. Give it a go. It's just yeah, but I feel like anyone who likes Austin who's going into it expecting it to be a straight telling of Austin with a name <laughs> like that. They are not, they are not switched It's like, oh, have you seen them? you made Pride and Prejudice. Let's go watch this, darling. Yeah. Oh, God, that man got beheaded. Yeah, someone else had just covered up the rest of the title. Like, within the first couple of scenes, a man
1: gets his head blown off, and you're yeah. like, there you go, you've set the tone yeah, for what okay. this
0: is. Which is probably important.
1: Yeah, especially when it's something like this. But no, I quite enjoyed it, and, okay. and like I said, full props to Matt Smith for absolutely nailing what he was given the, yeah. the role to do.
0: Okay, good stuff. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, lights Out uh, which came out in September I think, uh, which is based on a short film that was made in I think 2013 something like that um, three minute film, something like that basically plays with the idea of a monster that can only get you, uh, that you can only see when the lights are out
1: mm-hmm. Maybe when the lights are
0: yeah. yeah, and that's the opening song in the film five we really got some royalties for that. So um <laughs> Okay, so lights out the film, uh, basically extends this premise and says, right, well what what if this was related to one person? What if this was specifically to do with them? It's directed by the same guy who directed the original directed the yeah, by the same guy. And um It basically plays on the idea of saying, right You've got this thing that can only be seen when the lights are out. And I know that that will continue to make you laugh throughout.
1: <laughs>
0: but it's now tied into one woman and her family. And it's revealed that it's a spirit of a person that she once knew. Mm-hmm. And it's haunting her family. And it's 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 fine and it works a bit. <laughs> I have to say Maria Bello, who plays the mother is very good in it. Like yeah. she, Her performance is pretty pretty strong for what she's given. She's not given the most nuanced character to perform, I don't think. But she makes the most of it and she really makes it work. The, again, the problem with it is I've now found out they're doing a sequel. Of course they are. And I get that these films make horrendous amounts of money off tiny budgets. And that's an issue. Because it encourages the studios or the, the producers to say, right, well, we've done that once and it made that much money. We'll do it again and it'll make more money. Yeah, the yeah. Purge is a perfect example of this, right? The first one was made for the least money and made the least money of the three so far. Then they made another one for a little bit more and it made way more money. Yeah, So it's at this point, it's the increasing returns that are bringing people back. But if you start off with something like Lights Out, which is a budget of maybe 5 million, I think, something like that,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You then go, we've made so much money off the back of this, let's make another one. It doesn't work, the story doesn't work then. Yeah. Because the story has reached a conclusion in the first film. So, unless they do a prequel, which is the way that I think they might go with it. Mm.
1: There's something else recently as well that you said specifically you do not want a sequel to, but they've announced they're doing a sequel to, and I can't remember what it is.
0: John Wick. <laughs> John Wick and any other film at the moment. I think.
1: Oh, no, I can't remember. have a think about it. Yeah. and Tell me off air. There's something that you enjoyed.
0: No. No. Okay. No. Fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. So I I can understand why you want why the temptation is there to make the sequel. The the film as as a concept sort of works for a bit, but doesn't really hold hold out. Yeah. And the problem is. When you're adapting something from a short film, there's a reason it works as a short film. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to work as a a feature-length film. Whiplash is a great example of it working as a feature-length film. Monster is a great example of it working as a feature-length film when it would turn into the Babadook. This is an example of, I get what you're trying to do, but there really isn't enough here. And they've created so much extra sort of emotional baggage with it that doesn't really play. So... Bad mums. Bad moms. Bad moms. Bad moms. But are they making a They're thing? making oh. bad dads. But that defies the point of the thing. So, mm. Sorry, I took you off your flow there, but I just remembered. So yeah, okay. So lights out. Fine for a bit. And yeah. fi- if you want a quiet, quiet bang film that is less quiet, quiet bang than most quiet, quiet bangs, <laughs> fine. But it is still quite, Quiet quiet bang. Yeah. And that's sort of the problem. And then the problem is they're making a sequel to a film that can't really have a sequel. <laughs> I will give it credit for one thing. Yeah. The ending, I thought it was going to go one way and then it doesn't go that way, and I'm delighted about Somebody it. Somebody turns the lights on. <laughs> but Abs and the rest of yeah, five and nice. <laughs> the rest of five. Um Rich. But it doesn't go that way. But then I find out that in test screenings, it did go that way, and then they cut it out because yeah. the audience has hated it. The audience was right in that case. They should have hated it because that would have been a terrible... I'm going to ask you what
1: that is once we finish. Okay, fine.
0: So that's that. I mean, again, at the cinema at the moment, there are better films out there. We reviewed yeah. them last week. Magnificent Seven is a better way to spend your time. It's two and a bit hours, but it's probably more enjoyable than any of the films we've talked yeah. about. Apart from maybe Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which seems to be a no, good... I think. Magnificent Seven is better. Is better. But, but if you want a bit of fu- zombie fun... Yeah, then it's fine. And we're approaching the time of the year where that might be someone's so, someone thinks. Yeah, perfect. Well, this was the longest episode of News yeah, Reviews. We we Yeah, we, not, not the longest. Um, let's wrap this up. Okay, so you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Buzzsprout. You can find us on Stitcher. All of these places have abilities for you to subscribe to us, I think. Yes. Don't quote me on that. You can subscribe, you can rate us, which would be five stars, and then followed by the comment, four thumbs up, or if you have a fifth thumb, we'll appreciate that as well. Or a thumbs up. Every thumb in the world, up. And you can also find us on Facebook, which is Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Dinosaur Man 15. We've been active on Twitter You've recently. We've been so successful. Tweets. We got a like on a tweet about Go Home Gifts by one of the producers. So, hello. so that is pretty good. Uh, they will get her in. To I think what best else? Friends uh, what else are we gonna do? Thank you to we're Johnny- gonna thank Johnny Neves for the theme song because <laughs> it's great. And the other thing we're gonna do is tell you that we're back on Sunday. Yeah, with a special Halloween-y episode. Yeah, uh, they're all Halloween-y until the end of the month. So you know, if you don't like it, prepare for that. Go go fuck yourself, mate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you don't like it, don't listen for the rest of October. Um, thank you, as ever, uh, Alex. For, well, you weren't saying for the theme song. I was meant to say for the theme song. Didn't have anything to do with it, man. <laughs> uh, thank you. You've been wonderful. And until next time, don't say uh, don't turn the lights on. <laughs> Wait, no, do do because <laughs> then you can't see the monster. <laughs> turn the lights on, guys.
1: Die. Die.